comics podcast. I'm Joe Getcho. And I'm Mike White. And welcome to a post-apocalyptic episode set in the distant future of We Like Comics because they have no bones. Yeah, even though it looks sort of verdant and green behind yeah. you, so it doesn't look that bad. It, the colors are cheerful, but the content <laughs> is very post-apocalyptic. Yeah, as you guys will see. <laughs> so uh, uh, thanks everybody for joining. If this is your first time listening, we are a clean comic book podcast that celebrates all things DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, IDW, and more. Each episode, we take a comic book or comic-related media and review it, taking you on an exciting adventure to learn more. One of the other things you'll notice about our podcast is that it's a clean show, so we'll try to keep it appropriate for all ages, even though our story today is rated M for Mature, and you can visit the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, or the ESRB, website at ESRB.org for more information about this rating. <laughs> for more comic book discussions, you can also follow us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube, and at Boneless Comics One on Twitter. Yep, got to get those disclaimers out of the way. And make sure you check us out on the web at BonelessComicsPodcast.com, where you can find links to our episodes, as well as our after shows, bonus content, of course, Spidey Joe's one-shots on YouTube, which I need to get back to doing, and our Amazon store, where you can purchase any of the comics we've reviewed on our show, which is also a great way you can support our podcast while also adding your favorites to your collection. Check it out. Leave us a message letting us know what you think. Yeah, I have a question about that. With the one we're doing today, this is a free webcomic, right? So Very I don't true. think they can buy this one. No, I don't think so. But we'll take your money anyway money. at bonelesscomicspodcast.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yes, uh, today's comic is a bit different. It's an online comic. So in 2010, the video game publisher Square Enix partnered with the DC Comics imprint Wildstorm to create a three-issue comic series with a sneak peek for gamers into the dark mythology behind the action RPG Nier, which was released in Japan under the name Nier Replicant for the PlayStation 3 and under the name Nier Gestalt for the Xbox 360. Both games are based in the same world, have the same premise, and are only different in regards to the protagonist's appearance, his familial relationships, and the year the game takes place. The North American and European versions were the same as Japan's Nier Gestalt, the name shortened to just Nier, and released on both Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. The comic, however, was written by Ricardo Sanchez and was based on the Gestalt version. And God bless you. We'll get into the differences <laughs> between <I'm> those two. <laughs> we'll get into the differences between those two uh, a little bit later on. So for the writer, Ricardo is a fiction and comic book writer for DC Comics. He's written Legends of the Dark Knight, Teen Titans Go, Resident Evil, Line of Defense, End of Nations, and another comic based on a video game, Rift, which is, I think, PC only and is an MMO, which I have played years ago. Uh, he wrote a short story called Death and Life of the Hero, which appeared alongside nine other short stories in a graphic novel, Gods of Justice, published by Cliffhanger Books, which is a company dedicated to helping people, talented people, find a place to share their vivid tales of imagination. So that's kind of a neat little tidbit that there's, you know, short story publishers out there. So if you're looking and getting into writing, that's one way. But, you know, he's written a lot of DC comics, so I don't think he needs mm -hmm. to do that, but it's probably something he enjoys to do. Yeah, so I think a trend that you're going to notice as we talk about the creators is that they have all done 
lots of licensed properties and they have all worked at Wildstorm specifically on, on that imprint. So I'm going to very quickly go through all three pencilers because we do have a different penciler for each of the three issues in this collection. But just know that these all seem to be fairly experienced creators that have specifically done even video game adaptations. And so we'll, we'll get into what those are. But the first penciler, Carlos de Anda, is best known for his work on Dark Horse's fan and critically acclaimed Star Wars series, which was followed by success on Wildstorm's Death Blow and DC's Arkham City, which is also a video game adaptation. He also worked on DC's Bionicle title based on the Lego toys of the same name and its sequel title, Hero Factory, as a cover artist. His style is very reminiscent of the 90s superstar Joe Maduerera, which he's kind of one of the artists that's credited for bringing manga influence into American comics, specifically with the X-Men books in the 90s. So that if you kind of know what his look is, or, or actually if you played the Battle Chasers video games, I think he's the main designer for those. So you may have seen his art out there. But the next artist is the only one that I actually was familiar with before reading this comic. And his name is Pop Mind. And he took over penciling duties on Teen Titans in 2016 after the initial penciler, John Boy Myers, quit after only two issues. So he began his professional career at Wildstorm Comics and mentored under the legendary Jim Lee himself. And likely, uh, Popmon is an immigrant to the United States. I don't recall specifically what country uh, Jim Lee is from, but Mon was born in Thailand and then came to the United States at the age of three. So uh, during his career, he's done work for DC Comics on Batgirl, Bionicle, there's that again, Masters of the Universe. And he's also worked for Tokyo Pop, Dark Horse, Top Cow, and Marvel on a very recent title called Arrow. He's And that's A-E-R-O. It's not yeah. Arrow, like Green Arrow. Uh, he's penciled two other comic book adaptations of video game properties as well, both for Wildstorm, namely the Gears of War series and World of Warcraft. I think he actually worked with Sanchez on Rift as well, because when I was looking at his oh. information, it, it had Popman's name listed as well. But most notably, I think he's drawn variant covers for Amazing Spider-Man, Sensational Spider-Man, Marvel Adventure Spider-Man. So that's really, I think, the most important thing to note. Because mm -hmm. I'm a Spider-Man fan, if you had Yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> we picked, moving we on. We up on that. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I like this work on Teen Titans. Didn't really care for it as much as the previous penciler, but that's a whole controversy and story that we don't need to get into here so unfortunately i wasn't really able to find much information on eduardo nunez as he shares a name with a dominican professional baseball player i was able to find that he worked on another wildstorm title called the new dynamics so it seems like all three of these artists were kind of like staff artists at wildstorm during the time that near was published yeah, I think that was the idea was to take the well-knowns and have them, you know, drop a quick little teaser before, you know, the game release to mm -hmm. sort of help further that along. I So I was looking at the promotional material when they announced this, and actually they have him listed as Eddie Nunez. So maybe that's why you weren't really able to find him. 
because it, it said that he worked on the, at the time, soon to be released, DC Universe MMO. So I dug into this a bit, and it looks like he did indeed work with Jim Lee on doing concept design and artwork for in-game cutscenes in DC Universe Online, or DCUO for short. He also wow. did some design work for Green Lantern, the Rise of the Manhunters video game, and some of his comic credits include working on Lois Lane and the Resistance, Deadpool, Batman slash Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Nickelodeon's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ben 10, and Legendary's World of Warcraft. So I thought oh, that was okay, so we got another World of Warcraft alumni yeah. here. And apparently he resides in Austin, Texas, working for Powerhouse Animation and hunting chupacabras on his free time. May your hunt go well. And it was on the internet, so it must be true. <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was a nice touch to have a different artist for each story. But they seem to keep the colorist and the anchor and the rest of the, the art team the same, which did make it look a little more cohesive than some stories where you're kind of changing styles drastically from one to the next. I think Da'Anda's art in the first issue was probably my favorite because it, like I mentioned earlier, it had kind of that like East meets West or that kind of like manga influenced quality to it that really kind of seems to fit an American publisher making a comic book based on a Japanese game. So mm -hmm. I felt like that was probably the best fit, but none of them were distracting or bad or anything like that. So. If there was one, I think, well, we'll get into it later, but there's a, a kid in the story that they're mm -hmm. telling. And I think there's one panel where the kid's face is just like really weird looking. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because they're freaking out and this is somebody's freaking out face or it just, it mm -hmm. looked really odd. There, there were a couple moments in the art for me that I kind of just looked at like, oh, that's kind of bizarre. <laughs> but the story itself is bizarre as well. So, you know, it, it, it sort of fits there as well. It is. <laughs> so the, this comic focuses on three protagonists whose names aren't pronounced like you would think. So our main character is supported by his traveling companions, a hot-tempered and foul-mouthed young swordswoman named Kaine, and a talking tome named Grimoire Vice, or Grimoire Vice, if you've played the games. It's interesting to note, although used in this comic, Nier actually isn't our main character's name. In an interview with the game's director, Yoko Taro, he was told to use a name for the novellas, so he used it as a compromise. But as far as the game goes, oh. he's simply the protagonist and asserted that Nier is the name for the series in general. So kind of interesting. And also in the game, you get to actually put a name in there for this character. And so I had been playing Dragon Quest Builders and I had a female builder character in that game named Gwenny. And so picking up Nier for the first time, not having any idea what to expect, I put in the main protagonist's name as Gwenny, and then I was surprised when a young man appeared on the screen and his name was Gwenny. So that wasn't my intent, so it was very strange to me because that's not what I was looking to do. But after playing the game and going on the emotional ride that is near, I actually got attached to that name. So forever <laughs> the main protagonist is Gwenny, and that's his name, and that's just... How I feel about it. So I think wow. everybody who's played it will say the same thing about the, the name that they used. But so when I was making my notes, I was operating under the assumption that his name was near because I am mm -hmm. not sure that they address him by that in these issues. But that was the only thing I could seem to dig up on the internet because right. I was like, how do I talk about who this character is? So that's <laughs> interesting for you to say, like, well, he's actually not supposed to have a name. Yeah. And there's another character who's important 
to like the overall story named Emil, but he is not featured in these issues. But I think that might have given too much away since this was released before the game came out. And mm. he's a character that you don't encounter until, you know, right away in the game. So if you're looking for him, he's not here. So, yeah, we have near Kaine, which I'm glad that you showed me how to pronounce <laughs> that, and Vice. His name actually is Grimoire Vice, and it is not to be abbreviated. He is very particular about that. My name is Grimoire Vice, and it is not to be abbreviated. Yeah, there. Well, there's a there's a story beat in the beginning where where he makes that very clear that he's like, no, you must use my full title when you address me. Yes. Anyway, they are exploring ruins as they search for a powerful shade and a cure for the black scrawl sickness that Nier's daughter has contracted. As they search, the magical grimoire of Vice, an anthropomorphic book, tells them the story of the evil wizard Adler, who became obsessed with immortality after the world was ravaged by the Black Scrawl. Adler even gained the ability to take people's souls from their bodies on his dark quest. Now, as that story isn't to Kaine and Vice's liking, Kaine resolves to tell a story with a happy ending, albeit not a happy story. She tells the tale of a warrior that challenged dozens of shades, which to me in the story looked kind of like some sort of automaton, but maybe that's just because they had armor on. But uh, you've corrected me here and said they look like biological humanoid-like <laughs> mutations. So whatever yeah. the shades look like, they're, they're in the story that she tells, there was a warrior that was challenging them, looking for a place to die in combat. During the warrior's struggle, he discovered a little girl being besieged by the shades and resolved to rescue her no matter what. In so doing, the warrior found a new purpose in life and decided to live another day. Vice questions the validity of the story, but Nier says that at least he liked the ending better than Vice's story of death and destruction. <laughs> and then finally, in the third chapter, the third issue, Nier shares his own story about his journey with his daughter, Yona, and how he slew a beast in the wilderness to bring her a beautiful flower. While he was originally hunting just to find her food, he realized she needed more than just physical food. She needed hope. So he fought an enormous guardian to give Yona a flower, which he says saved her life. And so the comic ends with Nier, Kaine, and Vice finally finding the powerful shade they were hunting through all three issues, and Vice swearing that he will help Nier find a cure to the Black Scrawl Plague and save Yona. And that's, that's pretty much the story. It's split up into three issues, but the issues are only 10 pages each. So it's really closer to what like a comic book one shot would be for something mm -hmm. that you would purchase retail. Yeah, and that's really how it's intended. There's not there's not any more. As far as I know, there aren't plans to make any more, although it was fun to read. And I, you know, without giving away the ending, I you know wish there was more. So maybe mm -hmm. someday we'll see some more. But mm -hmm. I think they're actually making some either manga or comics for near automata, which is very different from this, um, although kind of from the same origins. And then also there is actually a, a grimoire vice, like it's actually called grimoire near, but it's a, it ha I think it has like a walkthrough and, you know, pictures and everything in it, but also has some additional like background and lore and mythology and stuff for the series. And originally it was only in Japan in Japanese, but with the remaster and everything going on nowadays, they're actually releasing an English translation with more content in 2023. So look oh, forward to that later. That's cool. Yeah. So you, you mentioned them making manga. 
based on near automata. And to me, that would make more sense for a Japanese company to go with somebody that is in their country that is well-established at making comics. I think it's really interesting that creative decision was made to go with Wildstorm overseas for this. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting for a Japanese video game company to go, we want an American comic book company to market this, basically. So back in 2010, it was... It was definitely a thing to do a worldwide release on mm. different platforms mm. at the same time. And so there was a lot of, I mean, like years of development work and everything that usually go into a video game. And there were some changes that were made, which I'll talk about a little bit later here. But essentially, they wanted to sell this overseas and make sure it was popular because being a Japanese action RPG, they were sure it was going to be a hit there, but they wanted to make sure the worldwide, you know, release was supported. So I think this was kind of like a, almost like a money grab move of, oh, we yeah. want to create some hype. So we're just going to take our best writers and artists or, you know, some people who at the time have the bandwidth to support this because, you know, DC keeps mm -hmm. people busy to, you know, churn out a quick comic to sort of spark some interest in the game coming out. So I think that's originally why it was created. And, you know, we're looking at it, you know, from 12 years ago, judging it right. now, and, you know, especially after uh, everything that's happened since then. And then also, you know, me having played the game, looking through it with different eyes than I would have originally before playing the game. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to get your perspective on the differences too. Yeah, that's something for anybody listening Something important to note is that intentionally I have not played the game and Joe mm. did. I, I believe you platinumed it, didn't you? Yeah. You got yeah. all the trophies. So yeah, he's pretty well versed in this world and I knew nothing going into this comic. And we, we've kind of done that on purpose to maybe show a little bit of a different perspective on things here. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, because usually we have the like similar shared experiences with things like Star Trek and you know mm -hmm. it's kind of our, our big one. So, you know, it'll be interesting this time with coming from different backgrounds, you know, maybe we'll come to some different conclusions and disagree for once. You we'll found see. a way to make a Star Trek reference, even in this. <laughs> We've got to do it every episode. Always. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back to jump into our story and our thoughts. All right, welcome back, everybody. So as I mentioned earlier, the North American and European versions of the video game were the same as Japan's Nier Gestalt, but the original release on PlayStation 3 was called Nier Replicant. During development, the team believed the Japanese audience would respond more strongly to a younger protagonist, while non-Japanese audiences would prefer an adult protagonist character. So the biggest difference between the non-Japanese version released in North America and the original Japanese version Replicant, which was recently released in North America as a remaster, is that the protagonist in Replicant is actually Yona's brother rather than her father as we see in this comic series. Oh. So it's kind of a big change, but it really doesn't change the game overall. But it's interesting because it kind of changes the way you view the endings of the game. Because if you play the game as, you know, father-daughter versus you played it as brother-sister, you would, you know, maybe make some different choices than, you know, you would one way or the other. So it's kind of interesting. So the version that I'm used to, I played, was the 
remaster which has the younger protagonist in it so that's who i'm used to seeing that's you know my gwenny mm -hmm. as i said before whereas the you know older looking gentleman we see in this is definitely the gestalt version which i think because he's from that version but there's actually a free dlc for replicant where you can play as this older gruff father figure and there's like familiar locations and new locations and basically it's you know a way to get you to fight shades but it's kind of cool to play as that version too so that's kind of the the big difference when you hear gestalt and replicant between the two versions and those words are actually both used in the story but you know, oh, not not, a, okay. not as a way to break the fourth wall and say the name of the video game, but those are actually terms in the story. Okay. Well, one thing I noticed about him is that he is, he he's almost like a He-Man archetype. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because he near looks like a big barbarian guy. And that's definitely the style of character that they were going for. So yeah, definitely not the typical Japanese RPG protagonist. Because that you would expect to see, I don't know, I mean, Cloud and, and Squall from Final Fantasy are kind of like the two most obvious examples that come to my mind. But a sort of like mildly effeminate male character mm -hmm. that, that, you know, comes in and saves the day. And he's still strong and everything, but they don't usually look physically huge right. and buff. Whereas this character near in this story is a big dude. Like he looks like he could do some damage to somebody and that was the idea is they thought that audiences overseas which would be us mm -hmm. you know would respond better to that version rather than the you know typical young japanese looking characters mm -hmm. and that's also why his hair is white is because they wanted him to look different and i i think the director actually calls out they didn't want him to look like every other blonde protagonist so it's funny that you mentioned cloud because that's he's very funny. much a blonde protagonist so i you know, not knowing any of that coming into this, I just thought, oh, Nier is the main character. He's the barbarian guy. But my my real first impression coming into the beginning of the story was that they were giving me a lot of information in, like, two pages. And so it was a lot to absorb at once. And I kind of felt like I was getting a dim picture of, like, the, the overall world or narrative that that supported these characters. I mean, it was kind of like one or two throwaway lines of dialogue where they're like, we're in a post-apocalyptic world. Nier is a knight or a warrior searching for a cure for his daughter. Everyone in the world has been affected by this black scrawl disease. And the setting seemed really grim as far as like what was actually going on in the narrative. But the colors are like bright, colorful, and the art is actually really energetic. So I think that kind mm -hmm. of took the sting off of the violence and the harshness of the environment a little bit. Yeah, I think that very much describes the story is there's a lot of emotions involved. There are a lot of really bad things that happen. There are a lot of there's a lot of death. There are a lot of creatures and weird things that just look grotesque. But at the same time, there are those like very bright, colorful, energetic moments. There's a lot of like character mm. interplay and relationship and that kind of thing. So there there's a whole lot of balance kind of as far as that goes so you know it, it's interesting because looking at this it looks to me like it's just some sort of side adventure like you could probably peg in the story in the game where this took place and it's just you know they're roaming around they're fighting shades and they happen to you know recall some stories and it's just some you know dialogue a fun little like character piece i'm kind of surprised that they didn't do something that 
gave you a little bit of history going into the game. Because like if you just play the game straight through, it's really easy. It's one of those games where you can kind of get lost as to, well, wait, what exactly is happening and how did this happen? And mm. it's got such an expansive mythology that, you know, just playing the game and going through stuff, it's really hard to miss what's actually happening, even though the game has a lot of like repetition in it that some parts you play like multiple times it's sure. still easy to to miss things and then they start adding new layers on to the parts that you've already played and then you have to catch okay what is it that's you know changing now so mm -hmm. but this is one episode where i'm going to try to stay away from major spoilers even though technically the game's been out for 12 years although the mm -hmm. remaster was just released last year but the story is very rich there's a lot of complicated twists and turns that honestly would completely ruin the story and the gameplay experience. So I want to stay oh, away from those. Okay. But I'll give, you know, just a little bit of overview to help tie things together a bit more, which I think would have been a really nice thing to, you know, maybe four issues and the first issue kind of goes mm -hmm. through some of the history. So, yeah. So we do get a, a bit of a history lesson early on from Vice, mm -hmm. who is a talking book for some reason. But that doesn't seem specifically related to the cause of the Black Scrawl. It's more just the story of how this wizard went insane searching for a way to survive it. Mm -hmm. And I was almost wondering if, like, does this wizard Adler come back in the game or something? Is this some villain that they're setting up for the future? I wasn't really sure where that story was going. And I was looking more for, like, okay, well, why did the world get afflicted with this disease? Are we going to get into the cause of this? But the at least the comic book itself didn't seem very interested in that. It was just kind of like, it happened, accept it. We're living in this world now and we have to kind of get through it. So, yeah, yeah, I think a little more background would have really helped me not knowing anything to jump into it, especially if this was intended to be a product that you want to sell the video game series to somebody mm -hmm. on. It's like, well, yeah. you want to give them a little bit more to go on. To start when off you with, so. when you start the game you start in like 20 30 years in the future or something and you have this like you know it starts to be post-apocalyptic or it seems that way and there's all this stuff happening you fight some shades and then it goes a thousand years later and now you're whisked away to the future and you're like whoa well, wait what i i thought we were 30 years <laughs> in the future why do we jump to a thousand and it's it's confusing in the game and you kind of learn the backstory and history as you go. But I think kind of mm. there were some things that were missing. And part of it is because the story premise came from actually another video game called Drakengard that was released in 2003 on PlayStation 2. So the main story really isn't connected, but it's the fifth ending where the game's protagonist in Drakengard travels across a dimensional boundary to fight a monstrous beast. During the fight, mm. both the protagonist and the beast are killed and their deaths spread this magical essence across the land, which results in a devastating disease for the humans that live there, the Black Scrawl. Oh, These beings so from that was another... established in another yeah. game? Okay. Yes. So that's, I think the biggest part that's missing is this came from an ending in another game that they based this game off of. And if you haven't played that other game, you're missing this entire like right. setup. 
So the beings from another dimension didn't mix well with the humans of this dimension, which is why this, you know, caused this. It, it's kind of like an umbrella academy where you have the what the the mega punch from the alien boxing match, and it's like it sent oh, yeah. a shock wave and it like did all the stuff to the earth. And <laughs> if you haven't heard that episode, go back to our podcast episode for the Umbrella Academy where you can hear us talk about this. But it's kind of that thing where you have this alien stuff happening and it doesn't mix well with our dimension. And there's this catalyst that causes this event to happen. And that's where the Black Scrawl comes from. It annihilates most of the human race. And it sets up the story for Nier in the fallout of the post-apocalyptic land. Okay. And that also leads to the most recent entry, Nier Automata, which is set thousands of years after Nier. So we, we have this like, okay, we have Drakengard. And wow. then a thousand years later, we have replicant or gestalt and then a thousand years after that we have automata so they're like related but they're not sequels yeah it's it's like it's taking place in the same universe but they're not mm. directly linked story-wise i guess right so that that actually cleared up another question that i have had which was how does this link to the the more popular automata game but i guess mm. i guess i know that now so yeah, this is really just the first couple of pages that we get the the quick history lesson, and we're introduced to Kaine, as well, who is probably the crassest female <laughs> protagonist that we've encountered in any of our reviews. In fact, maybe one of the crassest characters in anything that we've read since we started the podcast. Her hyperbole and her language are not for the under-17 crowd, uh, especially towards the end of the story when she uses a very colorful metaphor. She's a Star also Trek is, reference again. Yeah, colorful <laughs> metaphors. There you go. She's also wearing high heels, which seems not super ideal for fighting monsters in like a post-apocalyptic hellscape. So, I, I mean, I guess just, you know, Japanese character design. That's why. Yeah. I don't know. Well, and that's kind of also why she's missing uh, several key elements of clothing, which don't <laughs> right. seem like, you know, for the harsh climates and, you know, for fighting and all that stuff would be very practical, mm. but, you know, that was the way that she was designed. So, you know, that's the way that she is in the game. And of course, in the comic, I was watching years ago and I just thought of this because something you said, I, I think the director's commentary. Yes. I've watched director's commentaries <laughs> on movies. I wish they would do that more, but I think it was the, the first or the second Appleseed movie, the like CG anime movie. And I remember the director talking about they had a conflict with localizing it because they were like, well, you have to explain why this happens in this scene. And the director was like, well, it doesn't matter. It looks cool. And that's that's within the Japanese storytelling. That's fine. As long as it looks cool, you don't need to explain it. So I think that has something to do with their storytelling sensibility, too, where it's like you are just supposed to accept it, whereas our understanding of stories and narrative and things like that we want an explanation for everything a little bit more so i i think you you kind of have both like you have that well this is just the way it is you know accept mm -hmm. it and then you have the like expansive mythology where we could write like 20 books and have 10 video games and have you know five feature length movies because we have so much mythos that we tried to right. cram into you know a a 50 hour video game that you can't right. possibly get every tidbit out of it because there's little footnotes in parts of items that you get that if you don't read the subtext of the item that's a rare drop you might not get this background <laughs> you know piece that's going on so that that's really much where this fits in is okay. everything has 
a, a reason for why it is that way, but it's, there's so much, it's just like a vast story. That that, that, that makes me think of Xenosaga, I think was the series that we were yeah into back in the day where the, the mythology behind it and all the terminology that you had to learn just to understand the story mm. was a big barrier. It was an enjoyable story once you got into it, but there was a lot of, you, you almost had to like study up on what you were reading to understand yeah. it so so this you're saying this is one of those game worlds where there's just so much to it that they couldn't possibly cram it all in yeah that makes me kind of put another strike against this book for not explaining more than because i feel like with the comic you have an opportunity to flesh out backstory in a way that maybe you only have 30 pages but maybe you could get into some stuff that they didn't have time to include in the game or something like that. Mm -hmm. so. And that I think that would have been better. And maybe if they went the manga route and or had Japanese writers, they could have done that. But it seems mm -hmm. like with this comic, they wanted to stay away from repeating anything that was done in the game and really just show you like touching character moments. I mean, mm -hmm. there's, you know, violence and death and that kind of thing. So you know, it's <laughs> loosely touching, but you know, they, they wanted to show those character interactions and just like, well, this is the kind of ride that you're in for. But at the same time, using that comic medium, I agree, that would have been a good place to really expand on the backstory. Like you said, tell things mm -hmm. that, you know, do give us a little connective tissue between Drake and Guard, or even just give us a comic that retells the fifth ending from Drake and Guard so we at least can see the story because I, I never even heard of that game to even play it. So I had no idea going into this that you know, anything was based on that, but that little bit of backstory helped, you know, sort of shed light on things. Yeah, there were, I, I think there were three of those games, if I remember yeah. correctly. The and third one came out after Nier. The first one is kind of famous for having basically all the characters that you play as have like no redeeming qualities to them whatsoever. <laughs> and I guess the, again, the director, what was it, Yoko Taro, he was trying to make something that was sort of like the anti-Japanese RPG. And so I guess that was the idea was he's like, instead of making it all about a group of friends that come together, it's going to be a bunch of uh, jerks that nobody likes <laughs> that end up, you know, saving the day that are just terrible people. But I think from the little bit of research I've done online that maybe they went too far with that because mm -hmm. some of the character stuff that I've read about them, I'm just like, wow, I do not want to play this game so it 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 seems pretty pretty dark pretty depressing and uh yeah not an experience that i i want to have so i think near is going to be more up my alley as far mm -hmm. as that goes but yeah there's some things that happen that you know kind of border on depressing but it's one of those things like it's it's part of the story it's not mm -hmm. the overall story and so you know there are good character moments and the characters really are enjoyable and they're not jerks and you know kind like she's very foul mouthed and she's very abrasive but she also has a kinder side that she tries not to show so there there are a lot of layers to the characters mm -hmm. in this that i think really help you know make it more enjoyable than just like you know your typical oh the world is ending and everybody's sick and everybody's dying and there's no hope left and and that sort of thing but right it, 
so the comic and the game do both have that uh, M mature rating. And originally, you know, you take one look at Kaine and you're like, well, that's why, because of the way she <laughs> talks, the way she dresses, you know, that kind of thing. But actually in, there was an interview with the director where it was, he corrected uh, the interviewer and said, no, it's the graphic stabbing scenes and blood, which led to the game's mature rating. So there is a lot of really? like, even with the shades, there's like blood flying out of them in the game. So this is definitely mm. not, you know, a game for the the faint of heart. You know, and like I said, even even though Kaine seems crude and violent on the surface, she does have a, a kinder side. And we get a little bit of that in this comic where she rescues a girl from the shades, but she doesn't want mm. anybody to like, you know, directly know that it was her because, you know, she doesn't want to show that she actually stopped to rescue somebody. So she, you know, makes it based on, you know, some guy, some warrior did this and and he was really mean and that sort of thing. But I think if we saw the actual events, we would, you know, see maybe a little more sympathy from her. But she's definitely one of those characters that's like, you know, I'm here with you. I'm with you till the end. Let's take care of this. Hey, you know, if you're in trouble, you know, I'll help you. And then at the end, it's okay. Well, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and let's go. You know, just that like yeah. abrasive. All right, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> well, I mean, I I think she even drops multiple f bombs during oh, yeah. during just this comic. I was just a little bit shocked by it because yeah. I I was like, whoa, what like what am I reading here? Like I didn't I didn't <laughs> expect that. The like DC black label stuff that they do now would would have uncensored profanity as well. But in your typical comic book, you've usually got, you know, like a hashtag and a question mark and an at symbol, you know, mm. something like yeah. that to censor. It, so. Well, it's funny because like and it's definitely like that in the game. Like if you, you go to play the game, it's going to be not just F-bombs, but just the most creative <laughs> use of swear words strung together, directed at, you know, friends and and family and that kind of thing that's wow. just you know that's the way that she talks <laughs> but it's funny because actually in the japanese versions they use a censored beeping noise for her japanese profanity which was <laughs> actually an homage to the game's own like dubbing history and a contrast to other media at the time with serious narratives but it was considered too comical by localizers for the english versions so that was abandoned so we get to bear the full brunt of her vulgarity <laughs> So it, it's funny because her language and her metaphors are so over the top that I still thought it was funny because <laughs> some of the things she says are just like, how did you even come up with that? Right. Like, that's that's horrible. Well, so and they, they address it in the game, too. Like, there's a lot of comments. There's a lot of, like, dialogue while you're roaming the fields of them talking to each other. And it's it's very much that kind of thing, especially Vice. He's very judgmental about the way that Kaine dresses in the game, he calls her a hussy. Um, oh. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, I'm sure you have some, you know, thing. Can you say it without swearing? You know, that kind of thing. And they, there's a lot of funny dialogue, you know, about her swearing. So there's yeah. definitely a comical aspect to it. There was a little bit of that in this story. I think just when she began her story, maybe Vice said something to the effect of like, oh, can you get through it without, yeah. you know, swearing or... <laughs> something like that and she clearly didn't but i did think it was interesting that they're just like this guy is a magical book he talks and just accept it that's how things are well actually and he is that, a magical tome how I'm dare sorry, you address tome. grimoire vice like some common paperback how dare you address me like some common paperback i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry he's a tome i guess that carries a little more dignity than the word book that's right i, I don't know so just, again, I'm trying to piece together what's going on in this world. 
I'm like, okay, so there's magic of some kind. If he's a magical grimoire, that must mean that it's kind of commonplace because everybody's talking to him like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a talking tome. Yeah, that's totally normal. And I, I did feel like they had a good dynamic between the three characters. It was kind of, I, I don't want to say an anime trope, but definitely archetypes that I recognize. Like there's the strong silent warrior, the sassy female character, and then sort of the wise old sage character. And then they mm-hmm. kind of have conflict and play off of each other while they're traveling. So, I mean, it didn't feel like it was forced or it was over the top or they were throwing it in your face that they were kind of tropey, but I definitely recognized like the archetypes that they were going for there. And and near, I think, is probably the most generic to me just because any like video game or anime that has like a heavy character you know that carries like a big sword or whatever (laughs) like gladiolus in final fantasy or orin or you know kind of the serious wizened old swordsman character is like near so he was the one that i really was like he's kind of just like a stock character although him fighting for his daughter did give him a little bit more of like a level to operate on so Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting that they were trying to, you know, not necessarily do the status quo, but in changing the character from a young boy and then later an adult in (laughs) the replicant version, the version that they gave, you know, North America and Europe was a more like standard stock kind of, yeah. (laughs) instead of a, a stock Japanese, you know, young person, now we have a stock, you know, like American burly, like giant sword character so they sort of went from one to the other but uh, i wanted to talk a little bit about grimoire vice because i don't know if it's you know in one of those like items that you have to read in the game or where exactly Mm -hmm. but i want to i put together his history because it's actually interesting and again feeds into the main story and would have been kind of nice to see some of this like retold because i don't think it's like super spoiler you know, it just sort of sets up the character that you're going to hear. So sure. Grimoire Vice, he was, so he was actually born as a human male. So he did not start off as a tome or a book or a sheet of paper, you know, or, and learn to walk and then, you know, became a book <laughs> sheet, or anything. Like that. Sheet of paper that grew into a book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he, he fell he started, into some ink and then there were like uh, words on him. You got to and... be careful where you fall. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to throw the Spider-Man references in there. <laughs> Uh, so there, there is magic in this world, obviously. Uh, Kaine actually uses magic, but she doesn't have oh, okay. like a grimoire or anything to do that with. So the the ways that magic is used is, you know, different depending on, you know, who's using it. But anyway, sure. so this sort of ties back to the like Adler's experiments because they're, you know, again, over a thousand years before the events of Nier, that's actually when Vice was born. When he was 10 years old, he was taken into the Hamlin organization, named after the Pied Piper of Hamlin, and trained as a child soldier against the monsters of Legion. At age 16, he defeated the Legion leader named Red Eye, and not the Red Eyes from Mystery Men, but uh, a monster named Red Eye as part of Hamlin's 13th Crusade Squad. Only two of the unit soldiers survived, Vice and an unnamed girl. 
At age 19, he entered a top secret experiment to obtain an honorable discharge from the organization's forces alongside the other survivor of the battle with Red Eye. In the experiment, 13 soldiers were made to kill each other, and those who survived would be absorbed, their souls would be absorbed into magical grimoires. Vice was absorbed into a white book. The girl was absorbed into a deep crimson book called Rubrum, and the last man standing was made into a black book called Grimoire Noir. Say that three times fast. Grimoire Noir. Grimoire Noir. And not near, but noir. And those are really the three important tomes to the story. So there's actually like 12 of them, but I don't think they had time to put them all into the game. So we really just focus on the three of them. So Vice, and, and it's like his, his antagonist, his antithesis would be Grimoire Noir. And okay. then Rubrum, the girl was actually made into this tome, but she's mute, so she can't talk. So she can't really explain, you know, what's going on or what she's doing or what her motivation is. She can basically just fight, which is what ends up happening in the game. Yeah, okay. So that's sort of the backstory on Vice. Yeah, so I mean, we've we've really just talked about the the characters a little bit here but the the it is it is divvied up into three stories that are told from the perspective of each of the three characters mm. and does does adler have the wizard adler which is the story that vice tells does he have some direct link to vice or because it really seems like that story came out of nowhere where he's just like oh you guys want to hear a story well what about the one about this guy that got obsessed with surviving the black scrawl? So he started ripping people's souls out of their bodies, <laughs> you know, and he was like, this will be a great story to alleviate your boredom. I mean, I, I don't know. I was a little bit like, why did he pull that out? Like, does it have some relevance later or? Yeah. So as a magical tome, he does have words, you know, scrawled on his pages. So he right. is, he, he is like a talking book. So he, does you know know these stories that he is able to recant so i think the idea was oh you know, i see he's he's a storytelling book so he's going to tell you a story but as far as relating to the game i don't think there's any mention of adler or this experiment or anything i think this is something that the comic creators came wow, that's up a with shame <laughs> based on the story but i will say that the theme about ripping people's souls out of their body as you can tell from vice is actually a very important theme later in the story of replicant if you okay. think about the word replicant and where it's been used in various movies in the past you can kind of guess where that's going but spoilers i'm going to stay away from that but i will <laughs> talk about the power of words the visuals in the game really feature a lot of symbols, and some of them are okay. like runes, some of them are known languages, some of them are made up languages. And the actually the vocal artist for the vocals in the game, she was able to speak many languages and obviously sing many languages. And so she actually does this in a lot of the vocal tracks where she'll sing in different languages and then she'll sing in a, like a made up language. So there's a lot oh. of of words and different languages and things being spoken and you know it's kind of like in tales of zestiria where they have like their you know the the other well it's not a made-up language but it's like um the the language of their ancient texts and stuff and so yeah. they say things like Fethmus mioma and you're like what the yeah. heck does that mean you know things like that so they they don't really you know shout the words in this but it's more of a visual aspect so like the menu system has word symbols all over it 
the oh, intro has a lot of like letters and stuff not the scrolling like the matrix but they're mm -hmm. you know just kind of appearing everywhere so the black scrawl which took me a while to figure out is it's really just like magical runes that are scrolling over a person's body so it's oh. like this like energy that kind of goes around your arm or you know something like that and it's like these letters of this rune and okay they, the actual like script characters that they use to compose the black, black scrawl are a c g and t which represent dna and i don't know okay. how to pronounce you know those but you know adenine cytosine adenine. Gua yeah guanine guanine and thymine. i all i can think of is uh, Sloan <laughs> from deep space nine where he's like losing thymine. his mind and he's yeah saying them over and over yeah and yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's a simple nucleotide marking sequence What's a Would you mind repeating that? Um, but anyway, so the the black scrawl represents a breakdown of a person's DNA, and okay. there's a more specific reason than that. But it's a huge spoiler, so I'm not going to go there. But it is basically their DNA is being broken down, and it has something to do with you know souls being ripped out of people's bodies, and so this black scrawl is like this disease that's breaking down people's dna and killing them okay well that i don't think i could have possibly picked up on no from this comic book but even now from the that game, you mention it, it i remember some panels of seeing symbols on people's arms and stuff mm -hmm. while they were being experimented on by the the wizard adler so that then makes this feel like oh this is relevant to the game world yeah. but I don't think there was any way that I could have figured that out just from reading no, this and comic. even from playing the game, it it didn't dawn on me at first, and I had right. to go back and like reread things and do a little googling, you know, that kind of thing to really piece together the whole story. Because like I said, there's a lot to it, and there's a lot of nuance and things that if you just miss one piece of it, you get another piece and you're like, what the heck does this mean? I'm completely right. confused. Right. Because there are a lot of things that happen that, you know, if you miss what's going on in the story, you'll just be like, why am I here? What am I doing? Mm -hmm. So that answers a lot of questions I had about the first story. The second story I thought was interesting because Kaine told a story about a male warrior, but the visuals mm -hmm. were clearly showing her saving a little girl from a whole bunch of shades. So you kind of answered this a little bit earlier when you were talking about her demeanor, but I was surprised that she changed even the gender of the protagonist, I guess. Is she the kind of person that's like really uncomfortable with like showing that, oh, I actually cared about someone or does she have some reason to like hide the fact that she have noble intentions or whatever? I th That made me sort of start thinking along that track because mm -hmm. hers was the only story where it felt like she was intentionally lying. Yeah, I I view this as a, a character trait because she's grown accustomed to being alone. She suffered a lot of persecution as a child. So she decided to, you know, live only to exact revenge basically on the shades and really didn't have time for, you know, anything else like being friendly or, you know, opening up to people and that sort of thing. And especially in a post-apocalyptic world where Right. people are constantly dying you know you're not going to get close to somebody very quickly because then the shades gobble them up and then you know they're gone but i kind of you know looked at it more like i said as a as a character trait of she doesn't really get close to people anyway and and that sort of thing so yeah it seems it seemed like it was an intentional choice but it it also i wasn't sure where they were going with it so i don't know it was it was interesting because it did 
it did give us a little peek into her character, but I felt like that was it. And then it was over. Mm -hmm. And that if, if I have one gripe with, I think all three of these issues, I think that's probably what it is, is that we, we start to get invested in these characters and then it's like, all right, we got to move on to the next thing. And the pacing, because it was only 30 pages had to be so fast that they, they just had to pack so much lore into these 30 pages that it really felt not undercooked but it it just felt like there's so much more here and we we don't have time to tell you about it you know and right. and maybe that's maybe that's intentional because they're like we'll play the game and we want you to you know go buy the game but yeah well the for, second for issue it, i think is very representative of Kainé's personality like that's okay. mostly what you get for a really long time so i don't know that they really could have done too much more in a comic because okay you know unless you're going to see the character grow over multiple issues we don't want to you know divulge the end and give you the the secrets of her character yet sure because we do get a little bit of her childhood in the game and we start to understand her motivations a bit more but i think she's intended to be the mysterious character who seems very angry and gruff and coarse on the outside, Mm -hmm. but actually has a softer inside that's, you know, in there somewhere beyond all this gruffness and all the swear words that she's constantly throwing at you. Yeah, right on. It's like a Snickers bar. It's like hard chocolate on the outside and it's got a gooey center. If hard chocolate was swear words, then yes. (laughs) (laughs) The, The third issue, I actually like this story quite a bit. This is the one that I felt like Maybe we could have done a whole issue about just this section because it's near telling a story about his life with Yona and how devoted he is to his daughter. And unlike a lot of post-apocalyptic worlds, this this does feel like an unforgiving landscape, but it doesn't feel totally hopeless. And that Mm -hmm. seems to kind of be a theme that they're carrying throughout with the visuals and definitely with this story. So that kind of piqued my interest a little bit because I was like, okay, this isn't just Mad Max, you know, or or something like that, where it's like the world has ended, let's all <laughs> kill each other, you know. It was it wasn't, and even though he looks like the big tough macho guy, we do get to see him like show some tenderness with his daughter, and you know, he goes out of his way and even fights a monster in order just to give her like this little pink flower. And so that was a nice character beat to show that like there's more to him than just being the monster hunter guy that likes to fight. You know? mm-hmm. so. And this is really the central theme to the game is this relationship between the main protagonist, I'm not going to call him near, and <laughs> Yona, you know, whether it's father, daughter or brother, mm-hmm. sister, this is what's central to the game. So there's all this okay. post-apocalyptic stuff going on. There's this cool sci-fi story about, you know, people, people's souls and being put into magical tomes and things like that. But really, we're focused on the main character and Yona and what, you know, their relationship and everything that he does is motivated by her and so that's why he goes out into the world and he fights the shades and he goes on side quests for the townspeople and picks up items and you know those kinds of things is really that's what his goal is and so it's a little disjointed because you have the story over here of what's Mm -hmm. going on in the world but we're focused on this little pocket over here with yona and her father or brother whichever right and so it's a little bit different because the things that happen in the game really make you question like 
well, that's great for them, but what about the rest of the world? Like what, mm -hmm. what's going on there now? Mm -hmm. So, but the various endings of the game taken on, you know, different meanings, depending on if you're viewing them as father, daughter, or brother, sister, because there's multiple endings to the game. And it's one of those, like, you get to choose which ending you think is the true ending for the game. So they're mm -hmm. all presented separately. And so the ending you choose is going to be different based on, you know, if they're father, daughter, or brother, sister. But inevitably, it's the same gameplay. And there it is possible to get all of the endings and watch them all. So it'll be okay. interesting too, you know, to decide, you know, which is the, which do you think is the true ending? And which if you let us know canon. on- yeah, exactly. And if you let us know on social media, just please be aware of spoilers because Mike has not played the game yet. <laughs> and if you start spoiling it for him, he probably won't play the rest of the game because it'll be ruined. And we don't want that. Insert sad uh, emoji face. I mean, it depends how fun it is. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, depends how I, th fun I think the gameplay is really fun is. in addition to the story. So, I mean, I mean, I think everybody can tell after after my analysis of this that I was, I don't want to say lost, but I was trying to sort of intuitively put all the pieces together and and make this this story work so i have a lot of questions and you probably can't answer a lot of these but those include when does this take place how did these three people meet why are vice and kaine helping Neron in his quest where exactly is yona why is yona not traveling with them is she like she's in sick? bed is somebody yeah. Is somebody taking care of her or did he just like leave her in a bed by herself and he's like well you're fine this luck, is a kid. problem that's over there if you're here when i get back then i'll have a flower for you if not because i'm a right. big gruff <laughs> character with a giant sword <laughs> right well another a question that i had that you already answered was what caused the black scrawl or you mm -hmm. you kind of got into what it is at least and that it was related to an ending from a different game which i think is enough for me yeah. Did Vice used to be a person? That was another question that I had. And you obviously talked about that. And are talking books a normal thing in the world of Nier? So I, <laughs> I guess based on what you said earlier, it's possible that we'll run into other grimoires that used to be people yeah, in this there, world. There so. are three, Vice being one of them. So okay. there are two others that we'll run into in the game, but they don't really talk about... Do people just wake up one day and they're a book? Like, what, what is this? <laughs> that so would it, be terrifying. Right? <laughs> so so it's one of those things where there is a reason for it, but it you've, might be buried somewhere. You've got you've to cut in the no eyes, no ears, no mouth, no shape <laughs> song from Tech and Tag Tournament there when you said woke up and you're just a book. Yeah. All right. So... <laughs> I think the composer actually did the Tekken series. Like what? from Tekken 2 on, maybe not every piece, but a lot of it. There was also a Soul Calibur 6. There's one, I can't remember what it was called, wow. but there's one track from Soul Calibur 6 that the composer did as well. And like, it's one of those, you listen to it and you're like, it's kind of like Danny Elfman. Like his style is very yeah. distinct. You hear it and you're like, okay, I know that that's him because of the way he uses the instruments and and sort of the the effects like I, he always has the strings doing this and he always has the trumpets doing yeah. this and that kind of thing so i, I definitely recognized it with the the composer wow that is awesome game. i never would have thought when i yeah. brought up tekken 
that there would be an actual connection to that <laughs> between these two games. It's funny <laughs> that you mentioned Gladiolus because he actually did the music for the DLC. Oh, really? For Gladiolus DLC, but it was just the the like main theme or the 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 like title screen. Oh, so wow. he didn't do I the didn't whole thing, that. but just that part. And so I went back and listened to it, and I was like, I can really tell that that's his style. And there, there's like a long list of credits. It's actually pretty neat. And there's been some like collaborative stuff in various, like there was actually one in Final Fantasy XIV where there's like a, a bunch of raids and they have, you know, the music playing. And it, it's really, it's really good. Like if I could attend a concert with the music from Nier, I, I definitely would do that. Oh, that's cool. I mean, music is... We've talked about this a lot off podcast, but that's a big thing I think that attracts both of us to the Japanese RPG genre mm -hmm. is usually music is something that they pay a lot of attention to and they invest a lot of effort into yeah. and it really enhances the experience. So, well, a shameless plug for my own YouTube channel, check out <laughs> Spidey Joe 47, where I actually did a cover of some of the music from Nier and some other games like Tales of Zestiria and things as well. So make sure you check that out. But until then, for the rest of your questions, you know, when does it take place? I think we kind of talked about that. You know, it seems like it's just sort of a snapshot out of time of at some point when you have these characters and you're going off on your travels, you know, this sort of happens mm -hmm. as part of the storytelling. So it really could fit in in a lot of different places within the narrative. So I think it it fits... It fits the tone of the game. They captured the the personalities of the characters perfectly. Like it was, it really fits within there. And it also, like you said, the the big downfall is that they don't give you any history or explanation. And you would think for something that's trying to sell a game that they would want to tell you, here's yeah. what this is about. But instead, they give you a here's a day in the life of you know playing this right. game, and then right. that's what the comic basically is. Yeah. I think I'm about ready to move to final thoughts if you are. All right, let I us think... move into final thoughts. We I am purely rating this as a comic book because I have not played the video game and I was missing a lot of information. My enjoyment of it has increased as I've talked with you and you've kind of peeled back a few more layers of the onion and I've started to understand what we have here. But I think the best selling point that this comic has is that it is a nice character piece. It does introduce you to three characters that you're like, okay, they're interesting. I would like to see a little bit more of their world and kind of what they're about. But unfortunately, there's not really enough meat on the bone here to make it feel like much of a satisfying story. So I'm I'm actually going to go lower than I've gone on a lot of things on this. And I think Ooh. I'm going to give it a two wow. uh, because it was a it was a functional story. It was it was good. It had good characterization, but there just wasn't enough time for anything to breathe. And it went through everything so quickly that I was left more with more questions and answers. Maybe that's not fair. You could you could maybe talk me into a two point five. You know, because it's like, okay, well, the intention was just to sell this other product. Mm -hmm. But I really felt like the experience just wasn't complete and that they really kind of missed the boat on it, where this was an opportunity to really get into the backstory and show this is the lore, this is the setup for the game world. And I feel like they just didn't touch on that. So yeah, maybe, maybe that was my, just my wrong expectation going in. But uh, yeah. 
that's, well, that's, and that's where I'm going to go. That's why I wanted you to go first is to get, you know, an unbiased opinion mm. because my opinion is completely biased because I played right. the game. So I know a lot of this stuff and it was fun to, you know, especially for this episode, dig into the lore a little bit more and understand more about it. Mm -hmm. So coming at it from that perspective and understanding the context, I'm actually going to give this a four out of five, which is wow. a, the other side of the spectrum, which I think is unheard of in our podcast up to this point. It is. But, the, but the really the reason is, is because from my perspective, I'm reading this comic and I'm like, oh, this is, you know, just a, a snapshot out of time from this mm -hmm. game that I played that I really enjoyed. And they got the characters right. And it was like a fun story. And they didn't like retell something that they, you know, they didn't take a scene from the game and just put it into the comic and dump it in there. Like it was mm -hmm. actually its own story. It fit within the lore of the game. It fit within the timing, because like I said, there's times where you're roaming around the fields and this could fit in, you know, anywhere. And it made me feel like, you know, after I've platinumed the game and I'm done and I've put it down and I'm moving on, I got to come back to the game and experience a little bit more dialogue between the characters. And it was fun. The only criticisms I ha would have would be, I missed Emil because he's a really important character, but you know, th mm. that's fine. But the actual criticisms I would have are that, you know, for, for something that you're trying to use to sell a video game, it just, you know, especially from your opinion, it doesn't sound like, I, I don't know how well it did, but it doesn't yeah. seem like something that like, why would you do this? Why would you just give, well, here's just a normal day and people be very confused. Like, oh, I want to learn more. Go play the mm -hmm. game. Because, you know, I think this was a much better experience having understood the story and, you know, reading more about it versus something that like, hey, are you mm -hmm. interested in this game? Well, try out this comic first. And if you like the comic, then, you know, go check out the game. But I, I don't think this is really a good jumping on point. Like if you haven't played the game, haven't read the comic, I would just play the game and then come back to the comic later. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely a fascinating world. I'm I'm more excited to start the video game, though, than I would be to like read more comics like this, I think, mm. because, again, 30 pages, not a lot of real estate to cover what what you've now told me is expansive lore. And, yeah. and I think our discussion of it has given me more of an appetite to explore the world than I would have had just from reading the comic. So. I think that's what we found out of, you know, everything that we've read that's been promotional or tied mm -hmm. to multimedia in some kind of way is that it's been very lacking. Either it was too short or it was rushed or mm -hmm. they just didn't give you the same experience as the movie or show or whatever or game did right. because they were really just focused on, you know, here's a story. This is what happens. Boom, we're out. Yeah, with Ratchet and Clank, certainly. Yeah. I think Mega Man was really the only one where we were both, we came down really positive on like. I think we this... wanted more from that as well, though, because it was yeah. still kind of, yeah. it wasn't basic, but there wasn't a whole lot to it. There was enough mm -hmm. that it was like, well, this could go somewhere really cool, but instead you just told this really small story that has potential. Right. And then that's right. it. Yeah. So it seems to be promotional material in general. It seems to be what they do is here's a, you know, small little snippet that's cool. And the comic fans are like, well, I want to read more of this. Like right, if they had right. went into the, just the backstory, not even any spoilers for the game, but just the backstory and, mm -hmm. you know, all the stuff that we covered in this episode, if they would have put that into the comic pages, I may have given this a five, very close, wow. maybe a four and a half wow. because 
it's really interesting. There's a lot to it. And if you put it all together, it's really cool. But if you it's disjointed and you get like a little bit here and there, mm -hmm. then it's really confusing and very weird looking. And you have these like, they look like robots, but they're, <laughs> you know, people or, or creatures or mutations or something. But I mean, I was able to pick up a lot by the little dialogue that they had there. So I, I think that it, it was serviceable, but I was looking mm -hmm. for something more than serviceable. Yeah. So yeah, two, two out of five bananas, four out of five for you. Uh, that's going to average right. out to a three, which I think is probably fair. So yeah, I think so. Well, this has been a fun episode. Um, as we said at the beginning, you can't purchase this because it's free, but we'll still take your money even if you want to. But if Absolutely. there are other comics that you want to buy, you can check out our Amazon store at bonelesscomicspodcast.com, as well as you can find there more of our additional audio and video content. And make sure you turn in, tune into our after show on YouTube, where Mike will play Near Replicant, the remastered version, for the first time. So we'll get some more thoughts about and discussion about that as well. Yes, sir. And speaking of thoughts, tell us your thoughts by posting a comment on social media at Boneless Comics Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube, and Boneless Comics One on Twitter. And wherever you post, be sure to use our hashtag Boneless Comics Podcast and make sure to follow, like, subscribe, and more. And tune in next time for a discussion on Hawk and Dove, Ghosts and Demons by Carl Kessel, Barbara Kessel, and Rob Liefeld. That should be a lot of fun. I think so. All right. Well, until then, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you later. Catch you later. Bye.